It's Sunday, and have we got a story or two for you. Welcome to Stories Unlimited with your host, Dave Casey, coming to you from his son's old bedroom in Chicago. (laughs) And I'm Taylor Mason. I'm, I'm actually in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm not going to mention the hotel that I'm in, but um, a very famous girl who had a dog and she carried it around like doggage. Uh, it's, it's named for her. So I'm at, I'm at this hotel in Erie, Pennsylvania, where they were supposed to have uh, a solar eclipse, but I don't know if it happened or not. I did, Dave, see a bunch of people looking up at the sky a couple yeah. of minutes ago here in the afternoon, but it was not a solar eclipse. Apparently, it was one of those spy balloons. Oh. It was it was a Mexican spy balloon. Oh, there you go. The United States shot it down, and everyone's happy because candy was raining from the skies. Thank you, and good yeah. night. I was going to ask, how could you tell? Was it was it wearing a wrestling mask? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. It had candy. It had candy treats stuffed inside. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, hey, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, I, Taylor and I were thinking about how much the landscape has changed. When we were kids, you'd watch a TV show, and the next day in school, that was the buzz. Everybody was talking about the Ed Sullivan, the Rolling Stones on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, you know, just you know how Batman fooled the Joker and how great it was when all those colorful bam booms things came on and how funny it was, how bad his, uh, you know, you know his lieutenants were and it, they were almost as incompetent as the guys that try to keep James Bond from blowing up an island now and then. I mean, there was, there was, there was no defeating the Batman and Robin, but now. I don't know what kids talk about in school because there's no centralized TV. We had three networks to choose from, and there was always one big kid show every night. Now I don't know what the kids talk about, but yeah, even like James West, Artemis Gordon, Ah. even even though it was on Friday night, Monday morning, you were still talking about the 100 foot, you know, lobster that was magically operated by this little midget who was, you know, about to take over Kansas City. And it was just, we were all riveted with how exciting all these episodes were. Time Tunnel. And, you know, where did they go? Oh, they stopped Genghis Khan from defeating Robin Hood. Wow, that is awesome. And uh, now, who knows what they do? I mean, we all had our favorites. What, what show really sticks in your mind? What was the one you look forward to? Dave, you, you know, it's just such a different culture now. And there are so many things. The internet obviously changed, changed everything. But for, for you and I specifically, those shows from our childhood. Now, let's not raps too rhapsodic, okay? Because there was, there was a show about a horse that talked. And much <laughs> of the show took place with the horse leaning its head out from the, the, the half doorway was yeah. the top was open and then the, a character on the show would stand and they would feed the horse something that would make an open close something like a ventriloquist act peanut butter it, it, i think you're right i think it was peanut butter and then they would put words into the horse's mouth like a ventriloquist <laughs> he so, will work. exactly and we all knew the show we watched the show because we only had three choices now there are five thousand or as bruce springsteen said uh, decades ago in a song 57 channels and nothing's on there's, there's just so much on now so now, there's it's 50, for, now there's 5700 and there's still nothing on 
Right. And so, but for us, you had, you had shows, of, uh, there was a show, um, just redneck shows, you know, about people who lived inside a, a wooden water tower. And, oh, God. Petticoat Junction. Right. So, you know, he, he had, I mean, there was some banal. Green stuff. Acres. In fact, they, both Green Acres and Petticoat Junction shopped at Sam Drucker's general store that they had a character. And I thought this guy must be the greatest actor since like James Cagney, because he, he he was in two TV shows. Crossover, yes, Sam <laughs> Drucker was a crossover. But the reason that I started our our podcast today with my um, my little, uh, whatever you want to call it, pinata joke, yeah. Bible joke, because my life is based on those are the sitcoms from, and we can go back to the cartoons. Oh yeah. Because the Flintstones had a huge influence on me. Alvin and, and the Chipmunks had the punchline. Lots of setups and punchlines. Oh yeah. Uh, there was action with, you know, there's always, you know, bongos playing in the background with the, while the, the characters move their feet, you know. Yeah. Uh, but those shows had such a huge influence on me. And and I love I I loved laughing and comedy and a lot of the jokes frankly I didn't get because some of those cartoons, uh, Mr. Peabody uh, and Blackie Sherman, and Bullwinkle, those the, a lot of those jokes were not aimed yeah. for me when I was ten or twelve years old growing up in the sixties. I just loved the whole idea of it. Yes. And as I got older, I tried to mimic and still do now at age sixty seven. I still try to mimic what I call sitcom jokes. Because we grew, we kind of grew up on those sitcoms, and oh, yeah. so for us, Mary Tyler Moore, huge influence on my life. Just lots of setup punchline, and then just to bring this full circle with Dave and myself, we meet at Northwestern University, and we have a professor, Don Schultz, who taught me so much more than I deserved. I got more. There are much. There are, were many, many smarter people at Northwestern than I am. I was in the deep end of the of the DNA gene pool and you know trying to keep up. But here's what I learned, and Dave, you'll appreciate this. Schultz, Don Schultz, this genius professor who thought I was from another planet. And we learned more from than the rest of our professors combined. Uh, it was the reason to go to Northwestern, you know? So he taught us, and I know you remember this, being efficient and concise with your words. Oh yeah. Is, is a thousand times more better and more important and just all around better than using lots of words, which led me to this and doubles back, now circles back to my sitcom and cartoon comedy. One word punchlines get humongous laughs, get humongous laughs. Yeah. Uh, if you can, so if you can condense your, so a lot of what I do is and, set up. And, and that's how they were, that's how Dick Van Dyke all the way to the uh, Seinfeld were able to jam so much comedy into a half hour. You'd look at your thing, you go, how could this already be over? I mean, you'd be like, they, they've told an hour worth of jokes in a half hour. You know, and you're right. You know what it's almost like, Dave? It's almost a punchline every 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield technique. Or. You can't have a big convoluted thing. It's got to be whoop, bam, just like when he fell over the ottoman. Which is the theme song from, which is another, another thing that we should talk about is, as long as we're going to do, do this, a lot of those shows 
from our youth, Gilligan's Island, the Flintstones, uh, whatever show you, Dick Van Dyke show you were just talking about, there's three good examples. They yeah. all had a recognizable, catchy, fun theme song that wormed its way into your brain. Oh, yeah. And, which is why I believe that all sitcoms, terabit upon terabit of information of sitcom comedy is ingrained in most people who are born in the United States. It's in our already in our system, which kind of answers what you were talking before, bud, which is you, the kids today don't have any of that, but it's already pretty much in their random access memory. You our whole I mean? generation. You just have to say the hot dog makes her lose control. And you know exactly. You hear the theme song from the Patty Duke show. It seems like a nonsensical statement, but you can see Kathy dancing, or Patty, whichever one Identical Cousins was dancing. To the hot dog makes her lose control. You can lose your mind. Cousins are two of a kind. And the show. And the show theme perfectly tied the bow. If it was a, if it was an instrumental, it perfectly set the tone. <clears throat> Andy and Mayberry was slow and folksy. The the Beverly Hillbillies told the whole entire sitcom story in twenty seconds. They okay, let's just go with that. Let's just just Beverly sitcoms it for a second. So Beverly Beverly Hills sitcom is a redneck family from Tennessee discovers oil on their property, become billionaires, move to Beverly Hills, because that's what you do when you're a billionaire. That's, that's, so now for us, you know, growing up in the 60s, that made perfect sense. Now, of course, people, what? I'm not going to move to Hollywood. You know, California's a nightmare. I'm not moving there. I'm rich. I'm going to buy an island. <laughs> but, you know, now, but in those days, that was the thing to do. But, be, but what happens now is Beverly Hills, uh, that that show, Beverly Hillbillies, yes, becomes in some thirty years later, becomes Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Exactly. All they did was so barely I, changed the zip code. Yes, and made it urban instead of country, right? Urban instead of redneck. Yep. Put them both in Beverly Hills, fish, fish out, out of water. Which is why we're, this podcast works. Which is why stories don't work. Okay, so, but uh, yeah, uh, and a lot of, I mean, you can you can do that. You can trace, you know, all of these. You brought up Seinfeld, which begat Friends. And before Seinfeld, I'm trying to think of but, a buddy. Well, there's MASH, another great, I mean, MASH, the TV show lasted longer than the premise of the show, which is the premise of MASH was the Korean War. Right. In the late 50s, which lasted four years, I think. MASH lasted, what, 12? Yeah, something like that. It was all set up punchline, you know, set up punchline, and had a great theme great, song. And great and, character, great characters. Oh, oh, just the talent on these shows was just unbelievable. But, but you could also reverse engineer, when you talk about Begat, the Beverly Hillbillies took so much comedy from the, from the Flintstones. It, it was it it they had clever names you know dash rip rock was the uh was the uh rock hudson character but but then but then uh the son in the beverly hillbillies wanted to be a secret agent 
and he had a similar name that he came up with his thing. And it was all about clever uses of things like the turtle that was the uh, the turtle that was the lawnmower with the Flintstones and they had a bird beak for their uh, LP. Whereas <laughs> the Flintstones turned like the pool table into a tea service. And, you know, they had the cement pond instead of a swimming pool and everything was, and it was what really was the glue that held all those shows together was cleverness and punchlines just a it was clouded in an atmosphere every second there was something clever to look at or to hear and on top of that you had these great characters delivering these rapid fire punchlines so it was literally crack for the masses and 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 we and we bought it and for me so and just to to parlay off of that a lot of what I do is what I call sitcom jokes. Okay, these are not hard, but okay. So, so you're in a bedroom, I'm in a bedroom, and I'm looking at the picture there, on the on your bed right now behind you are your son's your your son's ex bedroom. The yes. bed there's a dog sleeping. Yeah. So we're just going to use sleep as the there <laughs> the dog is sleeping. So the sitcom jokes, and this goes back to where I met Dave at Northwestern. It's all about you know. Um, let me think, oh, um, I'm gonna go get my beauty sleep. One character will say, I'm gonna go get my beauty sleep. And then there'll be a punchline. Oh, then you'll be sleeping for a hundred years. So that's what I call a classic. And, and to punch that up a little bit, even on cartoons, they would put a laugh track in, which is something <laughs> I feel like I've missed in my life because if I just had that, and actually we should try to get somebody to sponsor us and put a laugh track into this podcast. But a lot of those shows would have a laugh track, which always, Dave, it always annoyed me. Because I always felt insulted that, you know, I don't know enough, which is why Seinfeld, I really appreciate that show, right? Because I think that there were a lot, a lot of punchlines, they didn't put a laugh track in on that yeah. show. Um, another one like that is Friends, which was Seinfeld. It was just the next version. Yeah. And they, they More didn't- More people. Right. Or, and, and that came from Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. Right. Aaron Spelling show, which actually they stole that entire thing from the Douglas Copeland novel, Generation X or Generation Y, whatever it was. Yeah. They stole that whole concept. He should sue Aaron Spelling for that. I'm serious. But uh, but they didn't put a laugh track in there because they're giving by by the 2000s. TV executives are giving the audience. It's already, as I said, in our DNA, they're giving the audience the benefit of the doubt. They don't need right. a laugh track. Beverly Hillbillies you know, a lot of these shows, they needed a laugh track. Which they really didn't because right. they, were, they were every bit as funny. Are you telling me you couldn't watch Dick Van Dyke without a laugh oh, track and, and, and laugh until you cried? No way. The talent, Maury Amsterdam, Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, it was insane. Mary Tyler Moore is just such a great comedy actor. She is just, she, it, it's, it's hard to, to put into words how great Mary Tyler Moore, and I crushed on her, I'll admit it, but then, you know, there was the, uh, oh, what was her name, Bergen, who had a TV show. Candace Bergen. Candace Bergen, and they, she had a show that was similar, you know, it was the yeah. spin off and a spin off, it was, but it was, it, yeah. was it, it was kind of a, they did an update of I the think it had a one word name, like, news yeah, room or something, whatever it was, but, and it was funny, but it was nothing. It didn't, it was, 
uh, it was the Mary Tyler Moore show without Mary Tyler Moore. Basically, she, yeah, she yeah. was so funny. And Dick Van Dyke was just so likable. I mean, these people were just incredibly great. And if you look forward to, even though you would watch the show, and here's another thing. See, I can still watch those shows from our childhood. Oh, I think most of them. And I watched them over and over again every sick day growing up in as a school kid. They were all syndicated. And there was just, it was, you know, just rapid fire. And, and, and that's, you know, that was the best thing about being sick was watching those old comedies. And, and it's, it, you can watch them. And even though a lot of times, you know, where the punchline is coming, you know, um, you know I overslept. I got to get to work. You're late. I'll just sleepwalk. You know, those jokes, come <laughs> jokes. You can, I mean, I, I recently played at age 67. I don't have to think about that much. And I'm sure, and I'm not even that good at it. You know, there are guys who just sit in a room and we're going to write sleep jokes or whatever, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. whatever the joke, whatever the premise is, carrots, you know, uh, uh, I ate so many carrots I can still see when I close my eyes. Stuff like that. There are guys who can just sit in a room and just churn, crank that stuff out. And then they'll look at 500 jokes and they need two or three a minute, as we said, you know, every 15 <laughs> seconds. And then you got commercials coming in to ruin everything, which is another thing we should talk about, Dave. With your but, before you get to that, Go. it wasn't just the writers, though. The physical comedy, the, the visual comedy you got from a uh, from a Dick Van Dyke, his physical comedy, and then Mary Tyler Moore's reactions to that to that were priceless and un just you can't you just can't separate that from the actual writing. It was so good. The same with uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Like for some reason, Jeff Jethro or what was the son's name? But it was, uh, was it Jethro? I think it was Jethro. But but his his physical comedy and then like the reaction shots of Buddy Ebsen and Granny were just <laughs> priceless. The monsters, for Christ's sake! They ah, yes, they had cakes of makeup on, but the actors were so good they could still, through physical comedy, get you every time. The guy that played Herman Munster, Fred Gwynn. Oh, no, no, watching no, no, no. him was it Fred Gwynn. I think it might have been. I can't remember. But the watching, I mean. To watch the the father in the Munsters, Herman Munster, I looked forward to that so I can't. I was just just thinking about it now, right now. I can't think of another. And I, you know, I like Seinfeld. I, you know, I like Friends. I had a friend who was on Friends who played the superintendent on Friends, Mike Haggerty. God rest his soul. Great, great character act, actor from the Second City Theater in Chicago, where I met him. I, you know, and I like those shows, but those. Those shows that we grew up on, these seminal reason for sitcom television, where that was just, it was really, really a, a, a cool. And if you're a comedian, there's just so many. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just one of a million fish in the pond who um, <laughs> were influenced by that. You know, another show, though, that heart, to me, always harkened back to the shows from the 60s. My mother-in-law was addicted to a sitcom called Golden Girls. Which was oh, yeah. I have never watched a single episode, but it is considered biblical and it's uh, just the important. comedy writing is just it's and but similar to what you were just talking about, but the actors are all there's double takes, there's great mugging, there's you know one of my favorite things is the the spit take, yeah, <laughs> you know um, 
which is a very 60s sitcom comedy thing. And then I remember at a birthday party for one of my kids, I think it was for the youngest one, I got all because there's like 20 kids at this birthday party. And I taught everyone this fit take, which was if you've got kids under the age of 12, That's if you just brilliant. want to have fun on a summer day, do spit takes. Do, do practice spit. Everybody gets to practice. And if you, nowadays you can get a video of it, of some, you know, some internet show or some sitcom that you can do it. This is what we're going to learn, kids. <laughs> Everybody gets it, you know, and it's the most fun. Every, you know, you have to, everybody's got to wear like some kind of smock, you yeah. know, but still watching everybody try to out spit take the other is, is it's priceless comedy and it should be a comedy show in of itself. You know, you know, when man was barely, you know, fun, you know, when we were just on this earth and they were walking around trying to find fire somewhere and, you know, they were eating raw rabbit. They, some guy walked around who was job it was to test the fetid waters and ponds. And you know, when the guy took a sip of one and went, that's terrible, the entire tribe doubled over in laughter. You just know that. Ah, yes. It's and in our, the, the it's in our DNA. Explained it. It's in our DNA that you can't watch a good unexpected spit take and not double over. Yeah, it's, it is just, it's worth it. And it, if, you know, it took me a long time to perfect. In fact, if you can't pull off a spit take, every writer and every actor that was involved should be immediately fired. <laughs> that, that should be in the audition. That should be in the audition. Speaking of which, when I was producing music tracks for, uh, for TV commercials and radio commercials, I would often um, audition the guitarist by I would say, you know, do me a favor, play the Munsters theme song. And I said, and but I want you to, uh, to, to uh, what's the word uh, where, where you uh, just freeform it? Uh, Wait, improvise. Improv. I say, but improvs and take it someplace I'm not expecting. And that was how my art director and I would judge a good guitarist. Oh, that's great. <laughs> da 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 and it was also that was our baseline. You gave each guy the same assignment, and what they could do with it was like he'll do. Yep. Oh, that's very. See, I, I think that and that works for me because that you're with the guitarist now. You're you're working on like three levels: how good a musician he is, um, how hip he is, and then where can he take this, and how how can he take direction? Can we yes. work with? Can he not just take direction, but bring his personality to that direction? Boom. And that brings me, since we're talking sitcoms and television and the way it used to be, I would not want to be in, in the advertising sales game in 2023 or for this generation or, just, or right now, or just advertising as it is. Because when you're watching those shows from our childhood, there's only three networks and you get 30 second or one minute commercials. And those commercials, a lot of times were based on the show itself. So you would, you know, you would see uh, commercials, obviously during sitcoms, let's take one from the 70s, let's take Archie Bunker. Okay, who's advertising during the Archie Bunker TV show? A great sitcom, you know, cutting edge and all that. You've got beer commercials, because that's who's watching, you got car commercials probably an insurance company and that's and you're going to see those 
you know, four different beer, beer companies or whatever you want to call, you know, the, the conglomerate that owns the beer company, four of those different ones, four different automobile makers, four different insurance companies and throw something else in. During yeah. the cartoons, you're going to see lots of thing, advertising for Toys R Us. Yeah, our kids was a big thing when we were kids, the sneaker kids. Okay, now there's no, it's just, it's so different. But the reason for the, the reason for TV shows and people forget this all the time, the reason for television and the reason for these sitcoms is they have to get people to go out and buy. You have to have viewers, eyeballs to sell whatever it is, toothpaste, I don't care what it is. And so a lot of times, the, and I maintain now that some of the best comedy on television is 1960s TV sitcoms. They are companies impersonating 1960s TV sitcoms. And I'll give you the first two I'm going to give you are progressive insurance. Yes, yes, with yes. Flow, Flow, with yeah. Dressed like a 1950s housewife, I mean, with the, the eyelashes the semi-tight clothing, the big red lips, and- there The are number two guy who's become, a, you know, who's become his own caricature and star. Yeah, I mean, they've taken, yeah, exactly. Just like a sitcom. It's just like the, the, it's just like sitcoms and they're well done. And I look forward to watching those almost as much as I, whatever show I'm watching. Yes, they're so good, yeah. And the Geico, uh, Gecko. Gecko, which, yeah. First I thought, this is stupid. You know, Geico Gecko, who, who thought of that? But now I kind of look forward to it. It's, a, it's like a little cartoon sitcom. You know, he's in, in different places now. He's on a boat. He's you, a you, you were getting a little too close with Cheetos and Chester Cheetah. So, you, you know, watch your... <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Watch ya. yourself. You're going to step on some toes <laughs> here. Why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit about... Because Chester Cheeto... If, it's Chester Cheetah. That's what everybody Chester calls. Chester Cheetah. Okay, but see that, and and so, but that's. I guess that's. That's fine. Point. That's because fine. what I see is when I either see the commercial or I see the package in the store. Oh, there's Chester. So why don't you talk a, a little bit about because Chester Cheetah to me is very much a 1960s cartoon brought to life. Oh, again, it was based on the, the, the art director who created the character based on a dog he used to draw in high school um you know he had this little dog that he used to draw and he didn't even know what a cheetah was you know we're brainstorming chester you know what about a cheetah for cheetos he had to go home and look it up what and this is before the internet so he had to find the he found the world book encyclopedia that i think was at his girlfriend's house but i don't know that for a fact but when he found a picture of a cheetah he went that looks just like a dog I used to draw in high school. Oh wow! So he recreates this dog with this big snout as the, and that's the, you know, that's Chester's thing is this huge snout with sunglasses perched atop him. Well, you know, the sunglasses are just so he's cool, and we decided to make him a cool character based on, and we can't say this in public, uh, we couldn't used to, but a, a certain cool character named Tom Waits. <clears throat> so uh, yeah. We wanted to use him on sort of a, a modern day beatnik, which was Tom Waits. And uh, so that's why I lived at the corner of Hip Street and Cool. And uh, he he drove that big Cadillac with the big fins. Everything that was done was taking cultural icons 
and putting them together around to create a certain character, if you will, which is now in the Advertising Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Awesome. And he, uh, and, but he was done for kids, preteens and teens. That's who our target market. Now he's advertised to adults, which is why you see a whole different type of advertising. Yeah. Same character, different accent, different everything different persona. But at those days, that's what it was. So we decided, knowing our target market, and the art director had a love for Warner Brothers cartoons. Not the Hanna-Barbera, but the Warner Brothers, where you didn't see the same palm tree 16 times in the same, you know, you know, he just that, oh, how do you know he's walking? Because he passed the same 16 palm trees. Okay. No, we didn't care for that Hanna-Barbera vibe. We wanted the Warner Brothers authentic stuff. Then I don't know who came up with this. It definitely wasn't me because I'm colorblind. But instead, of, you'd have purple grass and a green sky. None of the colors were exactly what they should have been. The white picket fence was orange. Of course, that's for Cheetos, but it was all sort of arranged. And then, then we just let the, we let the animator go. He said, this is the world we want. And he was brilliant. And he brought that world to life for us. And then looking for that character voice, we listened to like 400 or more. Oh, I love his voice. Chester's and, voice, if I, I mean, the original Chester is what I'm Yeah, the about. original That's Chester, voice. which was, you know, don't surrender to some cheesy pretender, you know. We were trying to get a guy that sounded a little like Tom Waits, but didn't. And that's where the beatnik rhyme came from was, in fact, when we'd come up with a great idea for a plot for a Cheetos commercial, we would just sit and go, do a little beatnik thing. But uh, so we couldn't get, we couldn't use Tom Waits because it would have been, a, he probably wouldn't do it. B, right. he want too much money. So we ended up finding a voice at the last second before we had a client presentation. And that voice happened to be Bill Murray's younger brother, Joel Murray, who is wow. a phenomenal actor, comedy actor in and of himself, was great in Mad Men, uh, has, has had many other characters on different TV shows that are just stellar all the time. That guy knocks it out of the park. Funny as hell. Just he's like Bill Murray. You, you spend 15 minutes in a room with him and you're laughing for 16 minutes. I mean, well, I know I exaggerate 18 minutes because yeah. you're still laughing after he's left. And <laughs> the guy's just phenomenal. So he just laid down these tracks and was great at it. And uh, but yeah, that's how sort of the character evolved was, you know, we're going to do these things and then every and then the other thing was he's going to be monomaniacal about getting his hands on Cheetos and he's yeah. going to fail every time, which is a that's, that's an old hackneyed trick from, from the rabbit tricks rabbit and all that. But we added that whole thing we called the geek out where, you know, you would just see him just go into all these crazy things, which again was based on, you know, Warner Brothers type humor oh that's great and so like you said as as my first creative director said when i probably my first week of advertising he said rookies create pro steal <laughs> and so the key is to steal a little here a little there a little there and put something original to get you know and then you definitely did that but you definitely did that original. and i always thought i always thought of those of course i knew you had done it so a lot of pride because I'm one degree separated from the guy that invented it. But still, I always enjoyed those. It always reminded me of what we're talking about. Great, you know, 1960s funny cartoons, defined character. You kind of know it's coming. 
you know, yeah. um, I've always heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I've always heard the, the best jokes are the ones that are um, a complete surprise. And the second best joke are the one where they know it's coming and that they already know. And that works on a whole bunch of levels. You're already and you still, laughing. And you still get them. Right. But, but then to switch things, to, to switch the theater of war entirely, other for us growing up in the post-World War II generation and pre-Vietnam generation, those war shows, combat. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they were just, there was all these things about the Naval Academy and West Point uh, that weren't as successful, but they lasted about two seasons each. Uh, you know, they were, um, then there was Gallant Men, which was a bad version. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But, it, but I still watched every episode and was really. Combat and Gallant Men. But to go back to sitcoms, McHale's Navy and uh, it, it brought them together and, and it really Hogan's did. heroes Hogan's heroes and Mikhail's Navy two brilliant shows that took the military and comedy and with casts that had Oscar winners and and uh Tim Conway get the hell out of here who's funnier than Tim Conway and and then that whole cast of Hogan's heroes didn't have any stars but each one in their own right brought something brilliant to it and, oh, I watched that. I watched those shows. I watched those shows, you know, fanatically. I really loved all those. I mean, I grew up on that. That you know, that was my, that was my childhood. It was watching those sitcoms, and I've watched them. I don't know how many times. I still can remember them. They, 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 they're ingrained in all of us. Speaking of stealing, if you watch as an adult today, which I have done, if you watch Hogan's Heroes episodes, you are watching basically the guy who played Hogan, I can't remember his name right now. I can't either. Rule and Grizzly Death. Um, yeah. He is Bugs Bunny in human form. Oh, yes. Every Hogan's Heroes episode is a Bugs Bunny episode <laughs> done in German and allied clothing. I mean, he is the Bugs Bunny. He manipulates everybody around him in every scene and gets exactly what he wants. And and then just looks at the camera with like, hey, what's up, Doc? Kind of, I just, you know, winking a nod. And uh, it's brilliant watching it. And the other thing, the, the, the other level that I just find amazing that I didn't even get as a kid is all this comedy's going on. And up on the wall behind Clink are pictures of Himmler and Hitler, guys that have committed some of the greatest atrocities outside of Russia in human history. And 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 it's just comedy as usual. Everybody's laughing. Who oh, that's Himmler. Ha <laughs> ha, who cares? He's a he's a rube, he's a clown, he's a Nazi stooge. And that's how just you know, we were just so ingrained to think that the Nazis were stooges that you could have these horrible people on the wall and they were just they were they were just like ah the idiots they're just idiots yeah and, it, what a brilliant idea you know and, and, and all what i've what i've learned since is clink his family his dad was a great composer and uh he had to leave austria before the nazis came because he was rich enough and they were smart enough in terms of all their connections to get out wow um, john banner's family john banner the guy who played schultz he was Jewish. Banner isn't his real name. He was Jewish and many lost many people in his family to the Holocaust. Oh my gosh. I never knew any of that. 
the guy who played uh, the big general who was overclinked that was always threatening to send him to the Eastern Front. I can't remember his name, but uh, he was Jewish and his family was a huge percentage of his family was annihilated in the, in the Jewish camps. The uh, the French guy who played. Uh, oh, yeah. What was Le his Pew. name? I think Le Pew. He, played yeah. Le Pew. He, he was the only member of his family to survive the, ho the Holocaust camps, and he survived by doing comedy and acting and entertaining the Nazi troops. That was, oh. he, he claims that that was his ticket to survival, and everybody else in his family was wiped out. Comes to America and and has, and and meets and what what I never realized is Hogan's hero was like this much a percentage of his success. He had all kinds of success outside of uh, beyond the camera, and actually married into some big Hollywood family. But it's it's and all these people with all this horrible past came together and said we're gonna say screw you to the Nazis and do this insane comedy. And it was hilarious. It was. Oh, it was great. I, I, you know, and we, that was a show where you kind of knew what was coming, as you said. Hogan oh, yeah. was going to win in the end. There, you know, it's such a simple premise for every show. They want to do something. The Nazis find out about it. Hogan and his heroes figure out a way to outsmart the Nazis. End of the show. That was every show. That was every single. So you knew and, what was going to happen. Also, Hogan, in his true Bud, Bugs Bunny thing, always won out over Clink by convincing Clink if he did this, he'd be the hero. <laughs> and Clink would buy into it every single time. Every single week. Every... So interesting to bring up Bugs here's Bunny. Another well. thing. Go, when go I'm ahead. old enough to realize stuff I didn't catch as a kid, when, when Hogan would walk into Clink's office, he would pour himself a drink. Out of, <laughs> he would pour himself a cocktail out of Clink's liquor and, and just start drinking it, which as a kid, I, uh, you know, I don't know what that all is about. I, I, but now as an adult, I look at it and just, just guffaw. I'm like, I'm oh. the, right. Who's the alpha male here? I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to step on you. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. That's, I think that's, a, that's a great point is that he made a, every episode you knew exactly who was really in charge. He made it, they made it very, very clear. It was just a great send up of, of Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, you probably couldn't put that on today because it would just trigger so many people in so many ways, i.e. just seeing the picture of Hitler being, you know, there'd be people, oh, you can't, you know. But yeah. for us- Well, Hitler's even worse than Hitler in, exactly. some, in so many ways. And you can't, you, you, you would not be allowed to put those pictures on TV today. There, no. There'd be somebody that would, raise bugs bunny was just such a great such a great show and my one of my favorite characters was marvin martian who <laughs> his character was based on the fact that the earth was blocking his view of was it the moon or the sun i can't remember the earth was blocking marvin hated the earth Yes, it didn't matter what. Remember why, but I remember he had this grudge. Yeah, he just hated the Earth. Period, and his helmet was like a Nazi helmet with you know a spark, yes. a brush, a broom, you know, and that was his helmet. Yeah. And then he was angry, and but he didn't let on. He was so evil. All he wanted to do is annihilate planet Earth because it was blocking his view of one of his favorite planets. So, and that was the premise of the show. And it was cool because 
they would put Bugs Bunny. And the reason I bring it up is because it was the only time it, Bugs Bunny was on the defensive because it always looked like Marvin Martian had it all figured out. He had the gun pointed at the earth that was gonna, and Bugs was scared, but there would always be some resolve, you know, something would happen and the, the gun would go off in the wrong direction or Marvin made a mistake with the, with the latitude and the longitude and did, did, did miss the earth with his whatever. But I, oh man, I loved Bugs Bunny, loved that show. But you're right, he, Bugs Bunny, like Elmer Fudd to Bugs Bunny was like Clank to Hogan. It was yeah. like, buddy in my hands, uh, you know, uh, that gun, why don't you point it that direction and, and it would double back on and boom, <laughs> blow his own head off. Whereas it, he did have a, 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 a visceral fear of uh, the Martian. Yeah, the Martian got to him because I think he wasn't of this earth and Bugs right. wasn't quite sure how to deal with that X factor. Oh, I loved, I, I really, I enjoyed those. And the other, my other favorites, um, I think it was the opera, the, the, um, it might've been the intro. I can't remember, but the music from Valkyrie, I think. Yes, and they yeah. did, they did like an opera, Bugs versus Helmer Fudd. It was just the most amazing. It was kind of a send up of Disney's Fantasia. Yes. Only, only this was just over the, it was hilarious. Those, those shows were just, Man, oh man, Dave, they made such a positive and fun um, uh, influence on me. And the fact that our grad school professor had, you know, kind of tied it without, without coming out and saying, this is how to write a joke. But he basically explained to me in very simple terms, set up punchline. This is the way to do it. Don't waste time. Get to the punchline. And those shows, obviously, all of them were really great with incredibly great sitcom actors. And if you ever get a chance to go to the Second City Theater in Chicago, and now my wife, where I met my wife at the Second City Theater in Chicago, right, right. there are six Second City Theaters now in Chicago. And when, when I found, my wife and I were at Second City, and when we found that out, my wife, typical actor, my wife goes, boy, that gives lots of people lots of work. You know, oh, you're right, honey. But they are really good. Those shows... Are, whether the regular show, which is written, or the improvis the improvisational program, which is the last say forty five minutes of every night, yeah, those they they do that kind of setup punchline, uh, killer comedy. It, it's those are really, and I got to work there for about three years, and that was a huge learning experience. And, and, and you're watching brilliant minds that are growing. I remember going to the Groundling Theater when a old college. Oh, yeah undergrad classmate of mine, Don Woodard, was uh, performing with the Groundling Theater in LA, which was sort of the second city type thing. Oh, very much so, yeah. And uh, I, I, th there was a woman there that was hilarious today. She's known as Flo on the Progressive commercial. Oh, wow. Check that's it what, out. That's one of the places, I'm sure she had more things, but that's one of the places where she cut her teeth and in oh, fact sure. was still doing them even after she got the Progressive gig just to keep her comedy sharp. And then I don't know if she's probably given them up today because her shooting schedule must be insane. Oh yeah, they, they <laughs> crank those things. I'm telling you, those are great little sitcoms. Yeah, and, and but they're, but also as you were saying, these theaters are great. Uh, you know, look at all the talent that came out of Second City 
And, um, you know, Groundling Theater, the same way Don Woodard went on to write uh, and, uh, and produce some great TV comedies. The one, the one that uh, was, was his big, big hit, and I can't remember the name of it because I wasn't watching much TV in those days, but it had uh, George Siegel as like a magazine mogul and David Spade as the, as the secretary. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this show. And, uh, it, you know, it had a great ensemble cast that uh and it ran for many many seasons and was it called uh, just shoot me was that the name yeah of it? that's it that's it just shoot me because that was like you know there, there was a photographer who you know shot the cover for the magazines etc and uh yeah it was a really really good uh really funny stuff and uh but yeah it's great uh and, and all those people i'm sure cut their teeth as five-year-olds watching tv sitcoms that I, I, I agree with you. And, it, you know, and nowadays, of course, comedy runs like water. I mean, there's a comedy club where, uh, well, it used to be when I started doing comedy, you know, just a comedy, the comedy club world, they were just taking people from comedy clubs and putting them into TV shows. They would like Tim Allen, Roseanne Barr, uh, uh, Kevin James. It does, there's just, there are so many of them that Ray Romano, there's a ton of them. And they yeah. just pick these guys and put them because a lot of comedy, when you go to a comedy club and the comedy boom, I guess is over, but I kind of rode the crest of the wave of the comedy club thing, because I think for our generation, uh, maybe the show, the TV shows weren't giving us the same, the, the same oomph and the same, you know, uh, thrill that you were getting from watching sitcoms. So the comedy clubs just exploded and there used to be well, they've all turned into Starbucks and Subway sandwich places now. But yeah. there was a time that on every other street corner in any, you know, mid-sized city in America, there'd be two or three comedy clubs. And yeah. you'd see all these really great set-up set punchline. And there are just so many. You know, the Groundlings and the Second City Theater are two good examples. But I've seen, I can't tell you how many people, men and women, all races, all genders, all backgrounds, in these clubs that are very, very funny. And a lot of it is still, to this day, 2023, set up punchline i live by that i'm living i'm playing keller's comedy club in erie pennsylvania right now so i'm i'm kind of and so this is i guess you could say in some way it's a it's kind of a dream come true because i i always love that genre of comedy and doing it and i i've been able to for whatever reason make a living at it for god knows how many years and, and hopefully knocking on my formaldehyde table here at the hotel in erie pennsylvania hopefully i can keep doing it i gotta run dave Okay, uh, man. Hey, believe it or not, I'm uh, I've got rehearsal here in just a few minutes. All right. Well, I'm going to go watch reruns of Petticoat Junction and remember <laughs> who you know get get my ten year old crush back going. Oh, I hear you. I hear uh, two you. out of three of those chicks drove me crazy back in the day. Oh, uh, that was another reason to watch those shows, man. Peace out, man. Good luck tonight with your show. Thanks. See everybody next time. Well, we've come to another storybook ending. Thanks for stopping by the Stories Unlimited podcast, and that stories. UNLTD. We'd appreciate you following us on Spotify as well as on Apple Podcast, and you can email us at storiesunltd at gmail.com.